Hello and welcome to Aisha Presents with me, Aisha Nabi. In this episode, we will be exploring what exactly PMDD is and how it manifests. I'll be talking to Anika Wahid, who runs leadership and management for Bart's Health and is a patient expert for PMDD. Anika Wahid is a former teacher and educator turned lecturer for leadership and management for the NHS. Anika is also a PMDD sufferer and patient expert for one of the largest NHS trusts in the UK, Bart's Health, leading a project on educating, advocating and researching a range of treatment plans for PMDD. This episode touches on emotive and personal issues which some listeners may find distressing. If you or anyone you know are affected, please click on the links in the episode's description for further advice and support or contact your GP. You may find it useful to make a journal and track your moods during your cycle. This may help you and your GP or therapist with a diagnosis and treatment plan. This series is sponsored by Arima CBD oils, which many people have found helpful in alleviating the symptoms of PMDD. Arima have an extensive range of CBD oils in varying strengths. Their researchers have extracted pure hemp oil from organically grown cannabis plants without using harmful chemicals. All of their products are manufactured and tested in the UK in a strict and methodical environment, making Arima CBD amongst the purest on the market. CBD is reportedly good for a multitude of health problems including pain relief, anxiety reduction, mood enhancement and heart health. Visit www.arima.co.uk to make your purchase. If you use my code AISHA10, you will receive 10% off on all orders. I'm joined now with Anika Wahid. Thank you so much, Anika, for being with us today. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Sorry, thank you for having me. Oh, no, you're so welcome. Um, Obviously, um, from your bio, we know that you have PMDD. Could you give us a brief summary of what PMDD is and a bit about yourself and your experience with it? So PMDD is an abbreviation for premenstrual dysphoric disorder. It's commonly associated as uh, extreme PMS. However, I call it uh, PMS's uh, satanic sibling. <laughs> satanic uh, with, sibling. With, <laughs> because it, it essentially you do lose your mind when you are experiencing it. Yeah. Um, just a small disclaimer, I'm in the middle of hell week. So I am suffering some of the symptoms as we speak um, and I, you'll probably even hear them where I might occasionally forget like my train of thought or my mind will literally go blank, I stutter, uh, which is so uncommon of me because I can usually really articulate my thoughts really well given my profession. Um, so it's a prime example of what women basically have to experience with PMDD. Mm. I do appreciate um, you being on, though, despite you being in your hell week. I really appreciate that you're finding the strength and courage to come on today. So that's very appreciated. Uh, no, the thing is, one thing I um, I feel very, very strongly about is that being authentic and very brutally honest and raw with my experiences, uh, which I display very like consistently on my socials. So, and it, you know, you can't hide away from it. So. With PMDD, you have a number of symptoms. So 
it can range from having extreme rage mm-hmm. right through to having like feeling out of control, irritable, your mood swings. Like, you know, people think us women, you know, that we refer to as, oh, are you on your period? Um, when you wish, when they're suffering from PMS, is a whole completely different ball game with PMDD. Uh, I feel like the clear difference between PMS and extreme PMS and PMDD is uh, having suicidal ideation. Yeah, and that's that's the real, I feel, crux of what makes it different from PMS or extreme PMS. Mm. Uh, you get brain fog, um, low mood of depression. Insomnia, feeling, having feelings of worthlessness, mm. uh, you know, a complete loss in any interest in work, life, social, romantic, you name it. It's, uh, it's an absolute nightmare. I totally it consumes agree with you. you. Yeah. It literally consumes you and you are a former shadow of yourself in two weeks. That's where when the, you are suffering the, it. Yeah, that's where the dysphoric term comes in, doesn't it? Because you're not yourself during that time period. And quite often, it's quite hard to... I know a lot of people, when I'm... For example, in my experience, when I'm in that phase, a lot of people are like, oh, just snap out of it. But it's so hard to just snap out of it because the feelings are so real, aren't they? And they consume and you. The, and the thing is, like, you... I find myself losing myself as a person. Now, before I was diagnosed, I, you know, was literally crying out for help mm. because I couldn't understand why I was experiencing a range of emotions which were not familiar to me yeah. so I had I have polycystic ovarian syndrome which is a gyne- gyne- gynecology I can't even say the word today mm-hmm. um, condition also mm. however I my weight was basically dictating my health and although I was physically fit and going to the gym I wasn't losing the weight or shifting it so I opted for uh, weight loss surgery Um where they removed 85% of my stomach and, you know, from statistics and studies that have been carried out, it's been a success, which exactly it was. Uh, I lost my weight in six months and I was healthy physically. Um, however, what it did do was regulate my period because people with polycystic ovarian syndrome tend to have irregular periods. So yeah. my whole life, up until the age of 32, I had irregular periods. Mm. Now, all of a sudden... From 33 onwards, I've got regular periods. So I thought, great success. That's one of the things that I was trying to achieve. But lo and behold, did it bring on PMDD? Yeah. So is that when you like first started to notice, like after you had that surgery, that your kind of hormonal shift just tipped from that point onwards? It was exactly that. Because yeah. I've never, ever experienced anything like it. I've always been really happy-go-lucky. I'm always known as a life and soul of the party. But then I turned into this social recluse who was constantly crying uncontrollably, yeah. questioning my existence, having suicidal ideations, questioning like everything about me because when I would look at myself in the mirror, I couldn't recognize myself. Yeah. And going from being really confident, and the thing is like everyone suffers from confidence issues and self-esteem when they're carrying a bit of weight. Yeah, but I w- I wouldn't have given that up for the world if I'd known that this would have triggered my PMDD. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we can't categorically say that yes, it was the cause. Yeah, uh, because PMDD can come about at any given time. It could happen after giving birth. It could be when you start breastfeeding. It could be you know any given reason. <laughs> it doesn't. It, yeah. it doesn't come with a warning sign. But essentially, 
when your hormones are fluctuating um, in your cycle, i.e. during your luteal phase from when you're about, when you ovulate onwards up to when you have your period, mm. your hormonal fluctuations basically have an adverse effect on your body. And it's an, an, a range of things are then considered to, to, for it to be affected, such as your mental health is compromised, your physical health is compromised, your yeah. emotional health is compromised. So you can't win. It, it attacks you in every area to be able to like function. So it's like what you're saying is during your kind of teens where your hormones are getting a bit, they're fluctuating a lot and they're trying to stabilise itself. I feel like that period of someone's time is quite vulnerable because it's open to so many different complications, like you mentioned. And um, obviously it's hard to know what the sort of starting point is to this kind of flip of a hormonal shift which causes PMDD. But obviously like doing research into it myself and I know that with some people obviously is um, a hormonal issue from the start of their menstrual cycle when they first came on but then there's other research and readings on trauma being an issue which Mm -hmm. kind of magnifies the PMDD um, kind of feelings that you have like the feeling of depression anxiety overwhelming Mm -hmm. and then that can trigger PTSD and panic attacks it's kind of relentless Mm. in a way so it is I feel like there is there definitely needs to be more research into like the hormonal shift I think um being the vulnerable starting point to the cause of PMDD do you do you think so oh absolutely the thing is women's health is neglected massively um and the thing is we're not we're from the UK we're not a third world developing country where we don't have the resources or the education available to us it's just basically another thing that women have to suffer yeah um which is really disappointing um I it took me to basically attempt to take my life yeah. before I was able to actually proactively do something about it and and get officially diagnosed and everything like that because you're you're literally googling your symptoms trying to find out why on earth you're going through what you're going through. There was a point where I was like, "Am I bipolar? Um, you know, wh- you know, do I have a personality disorder? Mm. You know, you know, Definitely I was so well versed." I know a lot of women have said the same thing and I've heard this time and time again. People getting misdiagnosed with bipolar or borderline personality disorder and nothing ever comes, nothing good comes from Googling symptoms. And I know that from past experiences because I'm a bit of a hypochondriac anyway. When you're Googling symptoms, it comes of all sorts. Mm -hmm. And then you just think the worst and you just get all panicky. And I know speaking to a lot of women about this and I know when I spoke to you initially, you were telling me as well, like you, you just mentioned it now, about the kind of misdiagnosis of PM, PMDD and like borderline personality disorder or, mm. you know, um, uh, bipolar. And it's, it's, it's actually makes me question whether the 1 in 20 number is an accurate number because I feel like because so many people are getting misdiagnosed of other illnesses or symptoms, do you think the 1 in 20 is more... Oh, without a doubt, it is not an accurate figure. Because speaking from experience firsthand, I didn't know I had it for two years. And there's women who've basically been suffering this from when they started their period, i.e. when they were potentially at 11 years of age. Yeah. So their whole life, they've been suffering this, were absolutely clueless, and only were able to establish 
their diagnosis themselves, self-diagnosis going on because women are having to self-advocate with PMDD um, through an algorithm when they Googled symptoms to find out what, what PMDD was. Mm. Clinicians are aware of it, unaware of it. Um, it's not even recognised formally amongst gynaecologists. Uh, general practitioners don't know about it, like primary care, who you would go to first when you're going through all a range of emotions and you're, you're essentially feeling like you're losing your mind. And when I try to take my life exactly a year ago to the day, it literally was a year ago, I basically could not take it anymore. Mm. And however, I was actually in the process of, you know, starting my treatment for it, which is ironic. So I opted for um, the SSRIs, i.e., you know, the elephant in the room that everyone doesn't like to talk about, yeah. antidepressants. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it took a lot of courage for me to decide to take the action with wanting to be proactive and trying to remedy it or manage it. And I remember going outside my GP like two weeks prior to this time last year and I sobbed in my car outside because I'd finally given in. Mm. I had to admit defeat. Um, there's nothing wrong with going on antidepressants. I've been on them for a year and it saved my life. Yeah. However, it was too late. So it does get worse before it does get better. Yeah. And I decided to start the treatment during Hell Week. And it does, and it just, it was just an absolute nightmare. It really didn't go down well. And you have to try and test the ones that do work for you. And there is an element of perseverance that's required. But when yeah. you have been suffering suicidal ideation, um, one of many of the extreme symptoms that you experienced for two years solid, you give up, you literally give up. And I was in a trance and I just wanted it to stop because I just could not bear it anymore. Mm. Um, I Luckily, I was able to snap out of it. And, you know, I went to my family screaming after I, I threw up my tablets and I did, you know, it wasn't my finest moment, but that was like the moment where everyone realized she's not coping because yeah. I'm, I'm seen as someone who's fairly strong and, you know, perseveres and bounces back. But when it got got to the point where it reached there, that's when everyone knew, okay, she needs help. Yeah. So I did take the steps to, you know, contact the crisis team and all the mental health services from my borough. And I had to repeat myself 17 times because no one knew what PMDD was. Yeah. They were Googling it over the phone. Oh, my God. I've been, I've been in that position, actually. I went to my, when I first kind of, my dad was actually the one who noticed uh, my behaviour. It was cyclical because mm. I didn't know what it was. I had a traumatic event a few years ago and that kind of magnified my PMDD to a larger scale. And mm. my dad was the one who was kind of quietly in his mind noting it down. And then he says, I think you've got PMDD. And obviously I knew, I heard of it because my friend had it. And she was the only person I knew, only woman I knew that had it. So I went to the doctors. And then when I went to the doctors, the nurse was Googling it, which didn't reassure me at all. It kind of made me feel like, why is she Googling this? I could do this. But then what annoyed me was that she kept referring it to PMS. PMS. And I was like, it's not PMS, though. This is definitely not PMS. And then she goes, do you exercise? Do you eat healthily? I'm like, yes. I go to the gym. I work out. I eat healthily. Like, this is not helping me. This is not giving me answers that I need. And that's what's really frustrating. And it kind of leads me to my next question, actually. 
In your mm-hmm. experience, how well informed are NHS doctors, nurses, and pharmacists on PMDD? So, with my experience with NHS doctors and nurses, I'm finding that there is a very small percentage. Um, it could be maybe actually one in fifty. Mm-hmm. So where I, I work for the NHS and I network around all the wards and departments that I come across, and that's very broad, um, when I do speak to nurses, say gynecology or midwifery um, or, you know, anywhere with the, in, in endocrinology, there'll be one, maybe one, and then they'll just um and R ah and be like, mm, yeah, there's not enough information on there. And they, it seems like they're too afraid to actually comment because, they don't want to be in a position to say anything incorrect just in case it bites them yeah. um, in, in their bum later on. So I can appreciate why they do that. But generically, they are not informed. So GPs in primary care, they are absolutely clueless. They have no idea. They've never heard of it. Um, I, I feel like there's maybe one that I know of that is aware of it and who worked with a girl called Emily who uh, has been campaigning relentlessly on PMDD. And that's up north in Derbyshire, I believe. So that's the ODGP that I know of that is aware of it. My GP's still not heard of it. Like, she follows my lead, yeah. literally. She she goes by my, my evidence because when I wanted to be referred to Chelsea and Westminster PMS and Menopause Clinic, which is just the irony, um, I had to go equipped with uh, three months of of a diary essentially with all my symptoms with dates and and I said to him look I was like I don't need to give you three months I've got two years worth ingrained in my mind like it's 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 here I don't really I can count days and give you dates of exactly what happened where what when how so that's how traumatized I was that it hadn't left me mentally physically or emotionally with the symptoms that I'd experienced that I could, you know, it's on the top of my tongue. I could just explain this happened this month, this happened this month, this happened this month. And the most extreme ones were where the suicidal ideations were completely, you know, I was overcome by that. And when you're actually having to explain to NHS doctors and nurses and mental health practitioners what your condition is, there's an element of gaslighting. There's medical gaslighting going on where they're questioning your reality of what you're experiencing because they're unaware of it. Mm. I feel like they're not and taking you seriously, aren't they? So it's like that kind of element where they're like, are you sure, like, we know best kind of thing. Like, what was your and reaction it, when they were Googling it when you went to see your GP? You know, at that point, I was numb. I'd lost every bit of hope um, at that point. It was literally the next day, one of my closest friends, she forced me to call the... Uh, uh, the crisis team I didn't want to I had no desire to but I was just like I've just t- tried to take my life like I couldn't I couldn't be any more bot- rock bottom from here so what have I got to lose and then the frustration of how vulnerable I was at that point is I can't put it to words and now you're on the phone actually saying it out loud I've, I've done this I tried to do this I have this condition yeah. And they're like, I'm sorry, it's what? It's what PMDD, what's that? Yeah. What is it? Is that PMS? And you're just like, you know what? Yeah. I can't be bothered. Like, yeah. why am I, why am I as a patient having to explain this to you? Like, you're the professional. 
Now, we get it. Not everyone is, you know, fluent or well-versed in every condition that exists. But if you've got someone there who's saying, my mental health has been compromised and I'm having to repeat myself 17 times for you to actually understand what this condition is after I've just told you that I tried to take my life last night, why are we having this conversation? Yeah. If it was someone else, they probably would have taken their life again, attempted to take their life again because look at the reception I received. Yeah, it's a sad It reality. wasn't of support. Yeah, it's very sad. And I must say, thank you for sharing that story because it's very brave and raw and it takes a lot of courage for you to do so. So I really appreciate that. And I'm sure a lot of listeners will probably resonate and be thankful for you to be so open about your own experience. So, yeah, thank you for that. Do you think, Not at all. Do you think more can be done to improve medical education of postgraduate education in this regard? So I started a project with my trust um, on PMDD to, to raise awareness and to advocate. And one of the things that I basically did was I reached out to my chair of gynecology. Now, he outright said himself, women's health is poor. And for someone who's been a gynecologist and, you know, a newborn specialist for over 25 years, to say that um, blew my mind. Mm. And I did say to him, my biggest frustrations are, why is this not being taught to go, like to the Royal College of uh, Obs and Gynae? Why aren't GPs aware of this? Why isn't the Royal Institute of Psychiatry aware of this condition? Because it's classed as a DSM-5. It, it was, you know, recognised by the World Health Organisation as a mental health condition as well. Yeah. And if women have been suffering this for over two years, we fall under the Equalities Act. Um, uh, under the protective characteristics for a disability. So we fall under the categories, right? But yet we still slip through the net. And that is because of lack of education. And he completely agrees. And he was like, look, I'm fully supportive of all the things you're trying to achieve. But essentially, all it, we have to reach to the top to persuade people to understand the gravity of this. And my interpretation, and this is my own personal view, is that until there aren't more deaths of women and it's not there in black and white that they attempted to take their life because of PMDD or they took their life or they, they are dead because of PMDD, it's going to go unnoticed. It's such a harsh and horrible reality and outcome that that guy has just said that. I mean, what does it take for someone to take this seriously? I mean, it must be so frustrating the thing is, another example is when, like, for example, postnatal depression. Mm. Women have suffered postnatal depression for years, decades. Yeah. But it only came about oh, about 10 years ago because a student psychologist uh, who was training had a baby and was suffering from postnatal depression and took her life. Yeah. So it took a poor soul like her to take her life for it to basically gain some form of momentum. Now, I can't stand by and watch that happen. No. It just, it, I, I, I can't sleep at night knowing that there's so many women out there who are suffering from this condition, mm. hence why I'm so open about my journey and my condition and how I manage it. Month to month, it is different. And there are a number of factors that I need to, to take into account and consider and you know change practices to be able to manage it 
but again, it resonates with women who are who are undiagnosed. They'll be like, I'm like that. Like, what the hell? Like, I, yeah. I did that on this day. So I'm constantly advocating and advising in a, from a non-medical perspective. Like, I say, look, I'm not a clinician and nor am I an expert in this medically. But what I am is a patient expert. I have gone through the motions. I've suffered it for two years. I have been diagnosed officially. I'm doing constant research. And guess what? I suffer it every single month without fail. There isn't a month that goes by where I don't suffer the symptoms of PMDD. So I do feel like I am qualified enough to be able to explain what I do to manage it. And if that helps others, then brilliant. Because our medical experts are failing us. Yeah. I think when you approach it like that, you make yourself more relatable to other patients who do suffer from it and they can relate to your story and they can, you know, see some sort of similar um, traits in what PMDD can do to someone. And I think what you're doing is fantastic in terms of, you. you know, you're stepping above and beyond and being a patient expert and helping women realize, you know what, this happens to me. If this happens to you, like it's obviously something you can note down and then, you know, make a diary of some sort uh, tracking your period tracking your moods during your cycle and then deducing it from there so it's great that you're doing that but it's just such a shame like as you say like a lot of actual medical people out there gps they just have that lack of education that i can understand why there's so much frustration out there i mean i remember when i went to my gp i just remember thinking what the hell like i could just easy google this myself and then she was confusing it with pms which annoyed me as i'm sure it mm. does with every other like person who suffers from it as well and the questions that i was asked like the working out do you eat healthily it was just very like it's just what kind of questions are they? It's not really going Condescending, down. Yeah, yeah. It's very patronizing, I thought. And I feel like, it's for, for example, say for someone is in their hell week and they're going to their GP to talk about this and someone said that to them, how would they react? I, I, like, if I was in my really bad hell week, I would probably cry. I'd probably take it out on myself. Like, you just don't know. And it's dangerous, actually, that GPs are handling it in this way because they are underestimating the kind of position a person is in and what they would do to themselves and how they will respond to it and how they react when especially when they're in their luteal phase uh, the thing is like it could be, it could be deemed as us calling it we, we could be called extreme for calling or labeling this term or this experience medical gaslighting but it is Your, the medical expert the learned person who spent endless years in, you know, educating themselves in the medical field is basically getting you to question your reality. Mm. Now, that is unacceptable. Mm. I mean, that is just the worst thing you could go through as a woman when you're in the peak of hell week. And do you know what? It's so difficult to advocate for yourself, let alone when a medical practitioner is getting there telling you, have you worked out? Did you try eating healthily? You're mm. like, no, no, I'm just, I'm just here for like, you know, funsies. No, I, I like making up the fact that I have suicidal ideations and I'm questioning my reality. Yeah. Like I get that, you know, it can seem like, okay, they're not in control because we're not. We are, we are not in control of ourselves and we're crying out for help. Mm. So it doesn't really help when someone else is sitting there questioning your reality. So it's really important to 
ask for that help or, you know, observe someone like your family, your loved ones, friends, you know, whoever it may be to identify like, okay, you know what, why is it a couple of weeks you're great and then a couple of weeks there's something going on? Like it does take someone who can observe you objectively and yeah. be able to like pass on to you that look, this is what I was observed like similarly to your dad. Yeah. So the way he was just like, uh, you know what, this is cyclical. It's not something that, you know, you suffer consistently. Um, so, you know, it, it does take someone to break through to you, mm-hmm. but it, you, it, it takes a lot of courage to basically admit to ourselves. And as women, we persevere. We just champion on, we treat, like we are truthers. We don't sit there, complain, whine and whinge the way we are portrayed yeah. as if we're moody women and give us a piece of chocolate and we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Because mm-hmm. as we are, you know, professionals, we contribute to society. We are mothers. We are daughters. We are sisters. We, you know, we are career women. We are ambitious. We uphold all these titles and we still manage to function and keep going with a debilitating and chronic condition. Not many people can say that. Yeah, it's a very empowering way of putting it, actually. I do like that. But um, yeah, as you said about having someone close to you, noticing these changes, I am forever grateful to my dad, actually, because I'm very close to him anyway. And he was the one who kind of sat me down and we just, I'm, I could tell him about my feelings all the time. And I'm, I'm really grateful I have a, like a male figure in my life like that, who I can trust and open up to. And he did say, look, this is what you have and I did say oh, do I have bipolar I remember saying have I got bipolar and he's like no because what you have is cyclical you're fine it's always before you come on I've noticed this it's always like every month and um it kind of really set the stone because this is before I even started making a, a diary or track them I had him kind of observing me as an outsider and I think if you have someone like that that's always so good someone you can trust who knows you so well who can actually listen and observe you from a distance so yeah definitely get what you're saying and I loved how you said about the yeah we are mothers we are sisters we are friends and nieces it's a very empowering thing because we we are strong at the end of the day we are so strong uh so when I was experiencing suicidal ideations uh, on a day-to-day basis for approximately seven to ten days monthly for two years I was still turning up for work and yeah. um, I'm experiencing brain fog. I am suffering. I'm sitting there with imposter syndrome. I've got everything where I'm like li- literally questioning my whole existence. But yeah, I'm a lecturer and I'm facing people daily where I'm teaching whilst I'm going through these emotions at the same time. So mm-hmm. I'm literally having to perform when I'm turning up at work all the time. But I, we, sh- we still show up. We're yeah. still doing what we're doing. And we're not shying away from actually saying, I can't function. Yeah, we can't function 100%. This is us at maybe 40 when mm-hmm. we're going through Hell Week. So that just goes to show how strong women are, that they're still showing up every day. And then, yes, there are months where, you know, it's, it's really hard to manage and you can't go to work, you know. Like, the thing is, one, one of my frustrations is that I'm seeing more like more frequently in the in like in newspapers or in you know magazines about how more and more women are taking off time because of period pain and cramps that that could be tmdd yeah yeah like 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 how dare they 
sit there and label women for taking time off work because they're going through period pain or cramps. It it could not it might not be period pain, just period pain mm. and just cramps because your your PMDD symptoms don't you don't like experience any relief until maybe for some people at least day four. It's a really interesting point though, actually, when you say that because when newspapers and media outlets label it like that it's very belittling like oh she got sent home or she took work off you know period cramps and you know and period pain when actually there's an umbrella of things that could be underlying issues for example endometriosis and um Mm -hmm. like like what you said as well pmdd there's like other things that could be underlying and yet some people are just so belittling and just saying it's a flippant comment like, oh, you know, just cramps. It just doesn't sound like it's justifiable. It doesn't sound like it's the right kind of description to use for someone who may be suffering not just physically, but really badly mentally as well. But there is like a shift from, you know, men feeling comfortable or it being discussed in the workplace um, Claire from See Her Thrive with her own organisation going around as an HR and psychologist specialist being able to educate businesses because she's also a business psychologist um, you know guiding um, HR on policies and procedures on how to manage things like menopause um, things like endometriosis things like PMDD because women are starting to make up more than half of society before it was half like women are starting to outnumber men now mm-hmm. and we are going to go through menopause whether they like it or not. We are. We still have periods whether you like it or not because, you know what, we, it's necessary for us to procreate. You know, that's what happens. You yeah. need to have a functioning uterus to procreate. So, you know, it's kind of similar to, you know, the shift from women being objectified and looked at as not just mothers or anything like that, or figures of authority, matriarchs, you know, you know figures of people who, who show strength no, there's another side of it as well. And that's, that's the human side, the internal side, the biology of it. And that's not, there's no, there's no information on that. Like no one talks about it because we're just women are held in that kind of category where, you know, they're, they're to a degree, like I said, objectified as, you know, yes, we, we, you know, I find it a little bit patronizing when they're like, oh, you're a queen or you're a warrior and you're this. But actually, you know what? I don't need these cliched, you know, labels. Yeah, I think what you're saying is completely right. I think it's so imperative that men have an education into what it is as well because, you know, for example, some straight men might be married to women who might be suffering from it and, like, in the workplace. And I feel like if they knew, they'd be better equipped to understanding it and managing it in a in, in a positive way if they knew about it, not just being, like, shying away from understanding periods and pmdd because they get they, you know they're a bit squeamish about knowing about periods you know what i mean and the thing is there's a lot more worse things that people could have to like deal with on a day-to-day basis this is something that is out of our control we, we don't choose to say we don't we don't choose to want to feel the way that we do this is a it's a biological reaction and it's out of our control we can manage it and we can but we need a safe environment mm-hmm. to be able to come forward and talk about it openly because it's not just a physical thing, it's a mental and um, emotional thing as well. Yeah. So 
to they're so that's why with the project that I'm working on, I'm trying to have a multidisciplinary approach, i.e., engage with GPs, engage with psychiatrists, and engage with gynecology, and have a multidisciplinary approach to create like a robust plan mm. to to be able for women to be able to manage it better. Yeah. But if you are going through mental health, emotional health, and then physical health at the same time, you can't speak. So there have been times where I haven't actually been able to speak because I can't, I'm numb. I'm absolutely numb and exhausted from my symptoms. So that's when it is important to be in an environment where you feel safe enough to be able to say, I'm not myself mm. and I need help. And that requires partners, that requires brothers, that requires fathers, you know, cousins, whoever, male or female. It requires everyone. It's it's a team effort. Yeah, I totally agree. And just as a side note to the listeners, if you, um, because you mentioned Claire Louise Knox, who obviously focuses on PMDD and work, Mm -hmm. she will be appearing on my episode PMDD and work. So we'll be looking at and exploring the many ways in which it affects that aspect of a person's life so um, yeah thank you for mentioning her name because she will be appearing on this podcast series as well um very little is known about the biochemical changes in the body that result in manifestations of pmdd do you know any of do you know of any research in this area i think is any research that has been done i find that most of it has been in the u.s Mm. And Dr. Tori, who I just honestly, I completely idolize her and totally girl crush uh, because she's basically a clinical psychologist. Uh, so, you know, don't quote me, I have brain, brain fog, so I can't remember her whole title, but she has specialized in not just clinical psychology and psychiatry, but in gynecology also. Mm. And she's the one who stated first that, you know, what the, there is, it requires a multidisciplinary approach, i.e., psychology and uh, psychiatry slash and gynecology which is great so there there is research but there's nothing that is been significantly profound for me to be like this is new news this is new research because there just isn't any research funding um, available because again women's health isn't priority it's not on the agenda mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it's down to us to advocate for to put it on the agenda for, for there to, to be researched. But I know there is there have been pharmaceutical companies who have carried out clinical trials to find medication to manage or cure essentially PMDD. But unfortunately it just it was inconclusive. Like there wasn't enough evidence to prove that it was able to, to cure PMDD or, or or have any significant effect uh, to manage it better. Mm-hmm. Um so I do find that on the odd occasion there is glimmers of hope, but then it's just again, there's just it's just it requires intensive study and research, and of of a, a number of women, it has to be in the hundreds and thousands. It can't be literally a hundred women here, five hundred women there. It's got to be a global, international effort because women are everywhere. It's not just in the UK. It's not just in the West. It's not you know it's everywhere. Mm. And there would be like society, so for example, whether it could be, uh, you know, South Asian, it could be, um, you know, Middle Eastern, it could be anywhere where you go where a lot of women would kind of be marginalized or branded crazy. Yeah. But actually they're not. It's a, it's a legitimate condition. And if there was that correct and adequate education 
um, on this amongst medical practitioners, then maybe women wouldn't be branded crazy or wouldn't be branded insane or mad. Yeah. Similarly, what about research into options for treatment or management of symptoms? So when I finally was, you know, I I gave in, like I said, surrendered to the condition, um, I went by the PMDD guidelines uh, from Kensington and Chelsea and Westminster Hospital. So there is a charity um, associated with a chair called Dr. Nick Pane, and he essentially created PMDD guidelines mm-hmm. on a treatment plan. Now, the first port of call essentially is SSRI, i.e. antidepressants. Yeah. And there is a lot of taboo and stigma attached to taking antidepressants because it's literally you know people that there are whisperings people like you know in corners of the room saying oh they're on this you know because usually they feel like if you've taken that medication like you're out of control or you're mad but in actuality uh, it's proven to be one of the most effective medications that uh, women who suffer from PMDD that they can take to manage it mm. and I'm I am prime example of that ever since I started taking it I have never experienced any any form of suicidal ideation since. Yeah. Obviously, I know some people are quite apprehensive about taking SSRIs, and I know I am one of them. I think mm. the thought of going on something like that kind of freaks me out because I don't want to change the good elements of me throughout the rest of the month. I don't want my kind of personality to be warped in any sort of way and when, it, when I am fine and when I am bubbly and I'm thriving because I've heard so many horror stories about SSRIs and that's the same with any kind of drug. You always hear like the pros and cons. And amongst like SSRIs, I've also heard about, you know, tryptophan. I was taking 5-HTP um, for a few mm. months, which is supposedly meant to help um, tryptophan. Um, and like I know a few other women are taking like ashwagandha and like herbal supplements like vitamin B. And it's just, I think with a lot of these kinds of things, it's a a lot to do with trial and error and everyone's body chemistry is different so it's all about as you said right at the start being you know patient and persevering and just seeing what works best for you and I'm glad like that's benefited you and it's helped you um because it's honestly it's nice to hear like a positive story about you know someone taking antidepressant antidepressants and they're feeling you know positive more positive and they're able to handle the situation better but I think it it does it does affect people differently and that's one thing I think I would encourage anyone to just you know explore the different avenues talk to your GP and you know encourage that trial and error uh, the thing is yeah you have to be engaged with medical professionals constantly to to you know support you in in this in that duration mm. and i would never encourage anyone just to just to start it you know and without knowing that you're in a safe environment and when i i don't mean safe as in you're in any form of danger a safe environment is being in in a place where you feel safe and supported mm. so when you are having a period where it's really difficult for you to function and you can't leave your bed, and you can't eat, or you can't stop sobbing, you've got 
people there telling you, reminding you that they are there, they're not going anywhere, that they love you and it will pass. Mm. So it does take a lot to be able to get through it. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm prime example. I started off with the Talapram, which is one form of SSRI, and it had grave, like, you know, really grave consequences. I tried to take my life. Was it purely because of the Talapram? No. But did it exacerbate my PMDD? Yeah. But it was timing. I had no education. I literally just started taking it. If I had hindsight, would I have taken it in the middle of hell week? God knows. Mm. But at the same time, I'm glad I did because it was an education, it was an experience, and I was one of the lucky ones where, and, and you know what, I have a level of strength and perseverance within me to keep going. So I, I am one of the luckier ones, and I am very, very fortunate that I just have this, this like, you know, natural attribute in me to keep persevering. So it took me, okay, when I'd, I'd lost a serious amount of weight from taking Citalopram because I wasn't able to keep my speed down. So within two weeks, I'd lost maybe, I think, 15 kg. So I looked really unhealthy. My mental health was completely compromised. And I went back to my GP and I was like, this isn't working for me. I need to change it. So when she did give me sertraline, I did start to feel immediately better, uh, which I didn't think I would. I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to go through the same thing again for two weeks. I didn't. It had, I had immediate relief. But I feel like that's because the serotonin was already within my system. So all it did was either complement it. Look, I'm not a medical professional. You know, I'm sitting here like, you know, speculating. I don't know. But wherever it did for me, it worked. Um, so what I do with the medication is that I take 50 milligrams daily. And when I hit my luteal phase from when I start ovulating, um, I increase the doses to 75 milligrams because I found that. Um, 50 milligrams wasn't enough to manage my uncontrollable crying or being able to manage my emotions. Mm. So when I did increase it to 75 milligrams, I, I'm fine. I just usually have to deal with more of the physical symptoms, but the mental and the emotional side of it, I, I managed so much better. And like I said, I've never suffered any form of suicidal ideation since a year ago when I started taking SSRIs. Well, yeah, it's a it's a remarkable story, Anika, and honestly, I really appreciate everything you've shared with us today. Your story it was very raw, and I'm sure a lot of listeners will resonate it in some way or another. And the fact that you're on today's show, being on your hell week, the luteal phase, um, I think that's really brave. And honestly, I know how hard it is to be motivated to do anything during hell week because it's like a nightmare. And I know... In my experience, I hate doing anything like this if I was in my hell week. So I really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart for you to be brave enough to come on here today to talk about PMDD despite being on your hell week. So thank you so much, Anika. No, no, not at all. And the thing is, not every month is the same. And, you know, last month I was sitting there questioning my reality and saying that I hate myself. And was trying to have a completely different look because I despised what I, the reflection I could see in my in the mirror because I couldn't resonate with that person or recognize them. So mm. where I am now, I've got no external stressors. I haven't anything like. I do feel relatively stable, but I'm still suffering. We are still suffering it. Yeah. But you know, some months are better than others. Yeah, that's definitely that's me- an important thing to point out. Actually, that 
not every month is the same. You don't no, know what card you're going to be handed with in terms of your feelings and your emotions. Some can be worse than others in, in terms of your monthly cycle. And I know there's been, there have been times where I'm sure with you as well, like you've handled it better and I've handled it better, but then there'll be like another month where I'll be so depressed and crying yeah. constantly. So it's, 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 it's a kind of like a gamble. You don't know what you're going to get, but I think with, with that aspect of it, it, it comes with triggers as well. Don't you think there's always a trigger? I think. Absolutely. Always. And a lot of it is external stresses. I really feel like stress, whatever it might be, you know, uh, your environment, it can, it can either make or break you. Yeah. I think any external factor, and even if it's a past trauma or something, if that kind of comes up, I know with me, with my past trauma, if I'm reminded of it during my hell week, oh my goodness, it's like PTSD galore, like I'm having yeah. panic attacks and I'm just in a right rut. But then other months I'll be fine. But I always have to tiptoe around these triggers during my hell week because I just know that it would set me off. And that can be, as you said, external factors as in stress or work or even just, you know, physical appearance when you feel bloated and stuff that can trigger all sorts of, you know, um, self, self-worth self and stuff. Like if you don't feel good in your own skin because you you have a bit of period bloating during your um, luteal phase, which can affect it as well. It's all different factors that affect people. Uh, the thing is, like, when you're managing a, a chronic and debilitating condition, support is so important um, and you need the right support. And sometimes we, we're unable to get that from medical professionals. I've been on the waiting list to see a medical professional in psychology to be able to, to you know, you know, I've never had any form of therapy since I've had to take my life whatsoever. I've literally winged it and managed it the way I have just with SSRIs and self-healing and, you know, going on this own journey for like understanding the condition and managing it myself and what my triggers are and having a level of self-awareness and, you know, working on basically becoming myself and managing it. But then there are some months where I feel like I have to do a risk assessment on myself and plan well in advance of whether I can do things or not because I don't know how I'm going to respond. Mm. Yeah. So, it's literally like if someone knows, so how do you feel about that? I'm like, who knows? Literally, who yeah, knows? who knows? I can't, <laughs> you know, I couldn't tell you. And we can laugh about it, but the sad state of affairs and the reality of it is, what what kind of life are we, of world, or world are we living in as women that we're having to do our own risk assessments to see how we can live our life because we are, this condition dictates us. Mm. It dictates our lives. Yeah. So, yeah, we function and we work and do all the rest of it, like I've previously said. But imagine being controlled by that your whole life. Like, you know, every single month, you know, it's not a great place to be in. So I feel like women really need to be, we need to be cut, cut some slack, really, yeah. to be able to, and give us the credit where it's due that we still persevere. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much, Anika, for coming on today. It's been lovely having you on. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. It's just so great to be able to have this dialogue and educate as many people as we can. That's all we have time for now. Tune in next time when I'll be joined by rapid transformational therapy practitioner and coach Natalie Ryan Hebert to discuss PMDD and mental health and the common link with trauma. Don't forget to subscribe.
Produced by the AV Club Podcast Production.